You are listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. This podcast contains material of a disturbing and often graphic nature. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie. And I'm Johanna. And you're listening to Fresh Hell. Thanks for joining us. And today I'm going to tell you the story of the Jersey Maneater. Uh, the Jersey Man Eater. What, mm-hmm. what, what exactly is that? It it's sounds... not, I know, it's not a cannibal, it's a shark. Okay, that... So this is the story of the infamous 1916 shark attacks that took place in New Jersey on the northeast coast of the United States. It's awful. You ready? <laughs> I I'm, I'm re- I never heard about that. It's mentioned very briefly in the film Jaws. Uh, There is a scene where they reference the shark attacks of 1916 uh, in the beginning of the movie when they're trying to convince him to close the beaches. And this is the story they're talking about. There was a lot of speculation and you'll still see stuff that says the story that inspired Jaws. And it turns out that's not actually true. I actually had thought that until I did all the research for this podcast. And that's not true. Although when he was writing Jaws, obviously he came across this story and wrote it in. So this all takes place, as I said, in 1916. So a little bit of history and a a few quick basic facts. Shark attacks happen on almost every coast around the world, but they're, they're really very rare. So you're more likely to be struck by lightning or killed by a dog than you are to be killed by a shark. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, I knew about the lightning, but about the dog, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sense. more people happens, are killed by yeah. dogs every year than are killed by sharks. 2017 was an average year for shark attacks worldwide. And in 2017, there were 88 reported shark attacks, unprovoked shark attacks. And unprovoked means what most people think of as being a shark attack. You're just out swimming and mm-hmm. you're attacked, that sort of thing. Provoked shark attacks are if you're diving, shark diving, shark fishing. I'm sorry. If you're out shark fishing and you catch a shark and it bites you, you've had that coming, yeah, man. I'm like, sorry. Mm, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's, mm, no, that doesn't count as a shark attack. But that's how they classify things anyway. I used to work as a flight attendant years back. And one of our routes that I was flying often was to Australia. So from Vienna to Sydney or Melbourne. And I don't know if you've ever been to Sydney, but they have beautiful beaches, really. And we took um, a boat tour and they were driving us around and you could see this these little beaches, you know, a little bit hidden and there were no people. Five or six times we came across those beautiful beaches and I was always wondering why are there no people? And every time I asked the driver, like, why is nobody swimming there? Oh, well, they had a, a shark attack like um, five years ago there. Oh, they had a shark attack like uh, last year there. That was the moment when I didn't go into the water anymore. Yes. It just, yeah. you know, up to my knees. Australia is like, they have this jellyfish and I don't know. It's, it's Oh, all the things the that will continent. kill you are in. It is the most deadly. Yeah, I really want to go. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Australia, I think, is still one of the, let's see. Yeah, so Australia and South Africa yeah, are, so. the United States is on the top of the list for shark attacks. It is. Well, the thing is, we're a huge country with a lot of coastline. But it's yeah. true, but I don't know if, if I think shark attack, I never, never thought of the US. I don't know why. I never just. Not necessarily fatal shark attacks. Okay. But. But shark attacks, generally. Yeah, the, yeah the, the stuff that I read, I think it said the United States was first. And then uh, I'm not sure the, the order, but I think it's South Africa, Australia, and Brazil. And Australia and South Africa actually use nets. And as I was reading about it, I was like, oh, that is so appealing to me. I definitely, yeah. So I want to go to both South Africa and Australia. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's great. I'll go to these beaches that have the nets. And then I read, the problem with these nets is they are just decimating the populations of all sorts of things so they get caught and it's not just sharks it's dolphins and sea turtles and you know yeah they're they're protecting the odd bather from the occasional attack but they're actually doing you know arguably a lot more harm i think they have to do that for for tourism which is a huge part of economy nowadays the thing that impresses me so much is just our current times as much as we know we still don't know a lot but with what we do know about sharks and shark attacks and the conditions that make it more likely for you to maybe be attacked, the number of people who still go out immediately following a shark attack, 
you know, there'll still be people out surfing. It, it just doesn't stop them. And arguably, it shouldn't stop them because... Yeah, I mean, it's like everything um, in life happens, life goes on and you just do your thing and maybe yeah. look for your best. And I think people that surf anyway are like, they have an, a different mindset. They do. My husband, a friend of my husband's is a lifeguard who works both on Cape Cod and out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I think he's the one that said to me, you know, people always say, are there sharks? How do I know if there's a shark in yeah. the water? And he says, just dip your finger in the water and taste it. Is it salty? There's a shark near you. <laughs> and the thing is, it's crazy, but it's true. We're seeing all this drone footage lately. And It's showing, you know, crowded beaches with lots of people and just dozens of sharks all around them. And there's no attacks. There's and no and problem. they don't know. The, the no, they don't would know. never know, which is honestly how I'd like to keep my relationship. Thank you. I had no <laughs> idea. Thanks for ruining that. that I know. <laughs> You're always surrounded by sharks. But you know what? Listen, that's their home. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me tell you. We're going in the Wayback Machine again. This takes place in 1916, but just a brief history. In the 1800s, people started going to the shores, to the beaches, to cool off during the hot months. But back then, nobody swam. It just, it didn't happen. So even hearing of a shark attack was just not a thing. And then in 1891, there's a guy named Herman Ulrichs, and he is a billionaire, millionaire businessman. And... He seems like kind of an asshole. He liked to go out on his boat with friends. And if he saw a shark, he'd just jump into the water next to it. Anyway. Just for, for, for fun? Yes, because okay. he, he swore that sharks were not interested in people, wouldn't or couldn't ever bite people. And he actually offered a $500 reward, which I think today would, I don't know exactly how much that would be. I think it was around $2,500. No, it was okay. more than that. Anyway, he offered a $500 reward to anybody who could prove that a real shark attack had happened anywhere in the Atlantic Ocean north of Cape Hatteras, which is in the Carolinas. He was really obsessed with this whole, he was like, Mr. Sharks don't bite people. I'm not sure. I just don't understand why that would be a stance you'd take. Because like at that point, nobody had ever actually really been eaten by a shark. I, I mean, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, obviously people had been eaten by sharks prior to that and it wasn't a known but he was thing. like oh, oh that's that's fake news yeah exactly yeah <laughs> he was fake news 1890s style yeah <laughs> so now we're up to the early 1900s and the jersey shore is <laughs> so different from from what it is today now yeah i know there's a show called jersey shore i think and it's yes. full of italian people or it's something. a lot of It's, yeah, it's a lot. I don't even know if they're, I don't know. I've never watched it. I know there's a lot of fist pumping, um, <laughs> food dancing, and a lot of like yaw dude guys and wife beaters and spray tans. I don't know. I never watched Jersey Shore. If you loved it, please don't write to me angrily because I bet it was great, but I never watched it. So in the early 1900s, it was a very posh swanky place for people from both New York and Philadelphia society to go and cool off in the summer. You have to imagine these women in these, you know, Victorian gowns with hats and parasols walking up and down the boardwalk. And then on the beach, it's just packed with bathers. So beachgoers, you know, it's just a super popular place to go. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, the president at the time, his summer home was on the Jersey Shore. And there was just a ton of tourism there. So as the early 1900s arrived and swimming started to get more and more popular, there were these grand hotels up and down the beaches, like these really grand Victorian hotels. So they started to set up these swimming lines, which were basically like these ropes with buoys kind of floating People just didn't actually swim. No, that's exactly because right. Because most people this couldn't is what swim. They, right. And I'm glad you said that because I almost forgot. What people actually used to do was just wade out in their giant bathing costumes. And they'd hold on to the tow ropes and kind of like sit or or like hang from the, the ropes that were suspended in the water by the buoys. And in this was called fanny dunking. <laughs> So in the United States, your fanny is your bum. It's your tuchus. Yeah. It's your bottom. But in the UK, your fanny is your lady nether regions. <laughs> so, so the term fanny it's, pack. It's, is, uh, it's correct. <laughs> either way is correct. That's right. The whole Your whole undercarriage was going in. They had these um, horse carriages that had like a little 
I don't know how to call it, like a little room in the back uh, where the women could change into the swim clothes and the horse carriage would pull them out into the water and there they could enter the water without being seen because it was what? so scandalous to, yeah it was so scandalous to be in your in your in oh, the I had my yeah. great my great aunt sister marie martha god rest her soul was a nun and she was at i'm from cape cod and she was visiting us once i was in high school and i came downstairs in a very modest one-piece bathing suit and she just about had a heart attack because oh my god you could see my knees and my ankles oh and my it was like, <laughs> yeah How yeah there you you, you need, was, to, well, you need to use in, the horse carriage <laughs> right she was born in 1901 i think so yeah this would have been her she yeah. would have been my age when all of this was yeah, going teenager, down. Teenager, yeah. Yeah. So in April 1916, a paper is published in a scientific journal. It basically says that there was no scientific proof that a shark attack has ever happened on the East Coast. And it says that sharks are absolutely not a threat to humans. Uh, Dr. Frederick Lucas is the director of the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and he says that there's no record of a shark ever having harmed anybody at any point. I don't think anybody read this article, but it's ironic (laughs) in hindsight, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? But it's nice, no? I mean, it's not like, oh my god, sharks are gonna kill us all and nothing happened. It's just the other way around. (laughs) Exactly. This is it. So it's Saturday, July 1st, 1916, and there is a really bad heat wave going on. People are are literally dying. People are dropping like flies, dying of the heat. So people who can afford it are trying to get out of the cities. And so Charles uh, Epting Van Zant, he is a 25-year-old stockbroker from Philadelphia, and he is coming to Beach Haven, New Jersey, which is only a two and a half hour journey on this new train. Because the beaches were so popular, they Mm -hmm. they had an express train that only took two hours. And it was, I think it ran four times a day. So he arrived with his parents, sisters, and dog. And they're basically going to move to the Engleside Hotel, which is this huge luxury hotel. And that's where they're going to live for the summer. And then Charles and his father, who is a very prominent Philadelphia doctor, they're planning to sort of commute back and forth throughout the summer on that express train and the rest of the family is going to be living at the beach so it's it's, for the women it is right so it's july 1st and they arrive again it was a really hot day it's around five o'clock in early evening he goes down to the beach with his dog for a swim before dinner He goes out into the water with his dog, and they start swimming. And after a little bit, his dog turns back and swims back to the beach to hang out with his father and his sister Louise. He's in shallow water, and I've read... I've read varying reports about distances. It's a little bit tricky, but not that far uh, from shore is what matters, I guess. He hears people on shore yelling. He looks and sees a fin coming at him in the water. He scrambles and quickly tries to make his way in, but he's grabbed and disappears under the water. People have seen this. They're shouting. The lifeguard on duty is U.S. Olympic swimmer named Alexander Ott, and he rushes into the water, grabs Charles, and pulls him to shore. Uh, mm -hmm, So this makes him the first lifeguard to do a shark rescue in America. But as they get closer to shore... That fucking shark is still attached to Charles Pant Sands. Oh my god! I shit you not. This, this Olympics swimmer pulled the guy with yes. the, the shark. Yes. Wow. Yes. So other people come rushing I'm sorry, over. I'm laughing. I mean, I'm no. Sure it was <laughs> it's for horrific. This, it's so no. Funny. If you can't laugh about this stuff, then yeah, it's... you should listen. <laughs> You just have to, because otherwise the nightmares will, you know. So, yeah, so the shark is still attached to this guy's leg. So other people come running over, and they are battling it out. And his family is there. Like, this poor guy's family is seeing all of this happen. So they were, like, um, punching the shark and... They're pulling on the shark. They're they're pulling on Charles. They're hitting the shark. <laughs> it's less than three feet of water that this is all happening in. So earlier, when you said you only go up to your knees... Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the shark... Um, his belly is like scraping on the sand. So the shark is like, mm, I'm all set. So yeah. he lets go and he fucks off back into the ocean where he belongs. Deep ocean. But poor Charles has a gaping wound to his thigh that has severed the femoral artery. But this wait, is where it's... his father is a doctor. 
his father is a doctor. And not only is his father a doctor, his father's mentor is Dr. Samuel David Gross, who is the father of American surgery. He wrote the Manual of Military Surgery because he was asked to do it by Lincoln and Ulysses Grant. So that's his father. And he's right there watching all of this happen. But there's really nothing he can do. He doesn't have any of the tools. So, and the nearest hospital is 30 miles away and there's no way that Charles is going to survive that Mm -hmm. trip. They do impromptu tourniquets and they rush him back to the hotel. They take the door off the hotel and he's laid out on the door and he bleeds to death. There's really, there's nothing anybody could have done. In, In those circumstances with that kind of injury, even if he had had rudimentary tools. There's there's nothing he could have done. So this is the first ever recorded fatal shark attack in the eastern United States. But there was almost no coverage. They, Why? Because was... it was unimportant or because they didn't want to scare people off? couple of reasons. The first is there was a massive polio epidemic happening. Okay. Yeah. So there was no polio vaccine yet and babies and children were dying by the thousands. I think the day before that this happened, 26 babies had died in New York City in less than a 24 hour period. So there was something more important going on. There was, yep, there was a huge, huge issue with the polio crisis. Also, we're right in the middle of World War One. And so the newspapers are talking about the March to Verdun. It's very heavily dominated by World War I. But also, nobody actually believed he was killed by a shark. The story in the New York Times appears buried in the back of the newspaper, and they don't even mention a shark. They say that he is attacked by a fish. (laughs) And a lot of people actually thought it was a sea turtle. (laughs) Okay. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, this is the crazy thing. This is just like, how did we know so little, right? The Pennsylvania State Fish Commissioner, who was the former director of the Philadelphia Aquarium, James Meehan, he said, quote, Vance Sant was in the surf playing with a dog, and it may be that a small shark had drifted in at high water and was marooned by the tide. Being able to move quickly and without food, he had come in to bite the dog and accidentally snapped in the man passing. People said there was this guy had been killed by a shark, but of course, this is the days before photos and video and evidence of any kind, and people just didn't believe it. They just... I don't know what they thought happened, but nobody thought that he had actually been bitten by a shark. It was just considered a fluke, a freak occurrence, and a total non-issue until five days later. July 6th, 1916, 45 miles up the coast in Spring Lake, New Jersey. The Essex and Sussex Hotel is another one of these grand hotels. And Charles Bruder is a young uh, Swiss immigrant working as a bellhop. And he's supporting his mother back in uh, Lucerne, Switzerland. He loves swimming and he loves long distance swimming. He just swim for a couple of miles. You know, he loves it. So he decides to go swimming with some friends, as was their normal custom. And he swims out pretty far. I think that he was maybe as much as quarter of a mile, 130 yards mm-hmm. from shore when people on the beach, including lifeguards Chris Anderson and Captain George White, see a big splash in the water kind of far out. And then they see this wash of bright red and someone on the beach yells, a canoe is tipped over. <laughs> they thought that a red canoe, that's how red the water was, just... And then they see a man waving his arms, going under, coming up again. I'm sorry for interrupting, but that's how no, the no, sharks attack. No, because that's yes. they bite, they grab you, they pull you under, and they go up again, and it's a it's a struggle. But it's... it can look like uh, he's just out there alone, actually, and just going under by himself. Yeah, exactly. So they jump into the life-saving boat and they row out. And as they're about to reach him, he yells that a shark has bitten his leg. And they see him, I think, get pulled over once or twice. But they finally reach him. They reach down. They each grab him by an arm. And as they lift him out of the water, they're surprised that it's easier than they thought it would be. (laughs) Because both of his legs are missing. One below the knee and one above. And there's also kind of a large wound in his abdomen. I read somewhere that it was exposing his ribs. He dies in the boat. sea turtle took your legs. (laughs) I know. A sea turtle, right? I mean... Yeah, this is awful. And this time there is a 
a story on the front page of the New York Times. And the headline reads, quote, Shark kills bather off New Jersey beach. Bites off both legs of a young swimmer. Guards find him dying. Women are panic-stricken as mutilated body brought ashore. This time, it's a little bit more serious. Poor Charles Bruder, they wanted to send his remains back to his family in Switzerland, but because of World War I, it was just too dangerous to do it. But now people are panicking. President Wilson's Secretary of the Treasury, who was also his son-in-law, a guy named uh, William McAdoo, was actually staying at the hotel when all this happened. So now the president's hearing about it. Business owners and politicians are calling for action because people are getting the fuck out of Dodge. Like, nobody wants to be on the beaches of New Jersey right now. And then it's about the money. And then you need to do something. You know it. So I I heard one story, and I couldn't find this. I verified. I I searched and searched. I couldn't find it. Uh, But I did read in one article that people were in such a panic that the day after this happened, a young woman was swimming, and she got a cramp while swimming and was calling for help, but people were afraid it was a shark attack. Mm-hmm. So nobody helped her and they just watched her drown. So that's, that's nice. how mm-hmm. I could see that happening though. Like it just yeah, being, definitely. you know, I would probably uh, be scared too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not going in if there's just been an attack. Mm, no. So yeah, people are fleeing the beaches. Uh, swimming pools are becoming a lot more popular and uh, the tourism industry is just losing millions. And so there's a lot of talk now about sharks. But our friend, Dr. Lucas from the Natural History Museum, he actually sees the body of Charles Bruder and he doesn't think it's a shark. He opines, opines, I think I read that in a couple of articles and now it's my favorite. Um, (laughs) His opinion was (laughs) that this was probably done by a killer whale, an orca. And that's somehow better in his opinion. Mm, Who can say? It's so weird. I mean, what's what's with the, the love for sharks and how did it turn around 100%? They didn't love sharks. They just didn't think they were capable. They thought they were slow and stupid. They just didn't think they were interested in eating people. I guess it would be kind of like today if I said to you, you know, a kid was eaten by a manatee last week. You'd be like, what? That's how people looked yeah, at, like, yeah, yeah. somebody was eaten by a shark. Well, shark yeah, but look, look, at, look at a shark and look at the manatee. I mean... Seriously. Yeah, but people didn't really know that then. Again, yeah, like, where sense, would yeah. you have seen a picture yeah. of a sh- shark? You know, it, it just wasn't, there's no TV, there's no, <laughs> people yeah, didn't know. makes sense, true. Yeah. Do manatees so, eat children? No, manatees Aww. are lovely. They, I have had a manatee nibble on me a little bit once, and it was lovely. They mouth you, they'll, like, gum you. Well, you and, see, um, you're not a kid. That's why no, eat you. that's why he didn't devour me whole. <laughs> they only eat children. Watch out for manatees, people. Yeah. So the Jersey Shore is like a ghost town. Everybody is fleeing. The pools are really popular. But you would think you'd be safe swimming in a river, a freshwater river, right? Oh, but there's an exception to every rule, isn't there? So July 12th. I don't like what is going <laughs> It gets so much worse. All right, July 12th. Thomas Cottrell Cotterell. Cottrell. Thomas is a retired boat captain. He is on his daily walk, and he's on a drawbridge on the outskirts of Matawan. Matawan is a small town 11 miles from the ocean, and Matawan Creek is a tidal river that empties into Raritan Bay and into the Atlantic Ocean. And this creek is only 40 yards wide at its widest point. So it's a river, you know. Yeah. So our friend Thomas is walking along, crossing this drawbridge and kind of looking down at the water. And he is absolutely stunned. He is completely gobsmacked when he sees what he estimates to be an eight-foot shark swimming upstream with the tide into the freaking river. How? Uh-huh. Why? He runs into town, and he runs to the barber shop, because, of course, the chief of police is also the barber, and <laughs> notifies him that there's a shark in the creek. Everyone completely ignores him. They are Com- like, oh, he had so much to drink again. Right? <laughs> Lay off the whiskey. So now it's around 2 o'clock. 11-year-old Lester Stilwell and four of his friends finish early working in their job at the basket factory. 
I love that, don't you? A bunch of like <laughs> child labor. Yeah, oh, well, the I mean, child those, labor. Those but... um, baskets don't make themselves, you know. No, that's and they have exactly the little right. hands, and they can do the the tiny little details. The, the tiny little Work details. Works so much better. Children's hands. That's right. But I bet working in a basket factory, it could have been worse. But it would have been hot. Remember, this is before air conditioning was invented. Yeah. There was nothing like that. So they get off work early, and they head to the creek to cool off. So there's this shallow, kind of slightly muddy stretch of water, but it's it's nice and cool and they go pretty much every day and I also read that this area was only for boys like only boys were allowed to swim here because they Mm -hmm. all go they all just go skinny dipping Mm -hmm. swimming costumes swim bathing suits were still kind of a relatively new thing so people had them so Lester and his friends are super psyched they take off their clothes and they go skinny dipping in that creek to cool off so later on one of the boys said that he'd felt something brush against his leg and it kind of hurt like rough like sandpaper but then it just disappeared and he didn't think much of it Mm -hmm. so they're playing and they're splashing and all of a sudden they see a fin rushing toward them and lester is violently grabbed and disappears under the water the kids understandably freak the hell out and they are scrambling and falling and over themselves to get out of this water and they go running stark naked covered in mud screaming into town yelling for help and saying that lester has been eaten by a shark How did they know that? Uh, Because of the fin. The fin. I'm assuming the fin. Yeah. So Stanley Fisher is a 25-year-old, 24, 25-year-old tailor. He's one of the first to arrive. Lester suffered from epilepsy and was very prone to seizures because, of course, I don't think there was much in the way of epilepsy treatment. And so understandably, Stanley and most of the other men that showed up to try to help all thought that probably Lester had suffered a a grand mal seizure and he might have been like thrashing. Do you know what I mean? Like it might have looked like something had got him. Sorry. They were probably thinking like, uh, yeah, I mean, the kids just heard about the shark attack and now, you know, they they think it was a shark because they read it and that's how kids act. like The Salem witch trials all over again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they go around in skiffs, like little boats, and they've got poles and, and really there's no sign of Lester so now they know they're looking for his body but they want to find his body so that they can you know return it to his family and he can have a proper I'm sure Christian burial and all that jazz so they're in the water and they're using little skiffs and long poles like poking around and trying to feel for for Lester's body but they can't find anything so Stanley dives into the water he's diving down and coming up and down and up and he's just not finding anything and finally he goes down again and he emerges with with Lester's remains and he calls out to the other searchers I've got him but before he can get out of the water he screams it's got me and he disappears under the water People around him that were also searching for Lester's body are absolutely horrified to see him. You know, he comes up out of the water and he's like struggling and he's dragged under again. And he's being he's clearly being attacked over and over and over again. And you can't do anything. Yeah, well, they actually do. They rush in and they beat the shark off of him again. (laughs) This fucking shark, man. It's like these people back then, they, they were. Yeah, they don't make it like them anymore, right? No. Well, at this point, I do wonder, there is some theory that kind of makes sense that when the shark went up the river, it would have really not had the food supply it would have needed. And so it might have just been desperate and hungry and sort of going for whatever it could get. But then once you start beating them, that's more energy than they want to expend and they'll Mm -hmm. let go. Anyway, it's awful. But they do. They, They beat the shark off of him and they get him out of the water. And his leg is stripped of flesh from hip to knee. So like, I think all of his thigh is gone. I know. They get tourniquets on him and they get him on a stretcher and then they have to wait a few hours for the train to arrive to take him to the nearest hospital. None of these poor bastards ever had a chance. He actually makes it to the hospital, but unsurprisingly, he dies of um, shock and blood loss on the operating table. Poor Stanley Fisher. And that guy's a fucking hero. I mean, his poor family, I think he had just gotten engaged. He was such Mm -hmm. a young guy. I'd like to think I'm someone who would jump into the water well, I guess he didn't know there was a shark, but still, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just, it's awful. And he's actually considered a local hero. They're both buried in the same cemetery, Lester and Stanley. And uh, you can see the creek from the cemetery. So our old friend, 
Captain Cottrell there, he's still going he's like, ha, and ha, screaming. Told, yeah. He's still yelling shark, 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 shark. And still nobody, nobody believes him. So a few hundred yards downstream, 12-year-old Joseph Dunn and his older brother Michael, they're visiting Matawan. Their aunt lives there, and so they've come with their mom to have a little bit of a break because they live in New York City, which was like the surface of the sun. It was so hot during this heat wave, all that asphalt. Today, New York City is awful in the summertime because all the buildings and everything, it just, there's no... Even Vienna is awful. Yes, it all just radiates at you. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, 12-year-old Joseph Dunn and his brother Michael, they're out swimming with another friend popular swimming hole and they hear they need to get out of the water there's been an attack so they're all making their way out of the water and joseph unfortunately (laughs) is the furthest from the ladder and the last one to get out of the water he's just about reached the ladder when he is grabbed and pulled under he resurfaces and is clinging to the dock and he's holding on to the ladder and the shark is holding on to him And he's screaming. And so his brother jumps in and their friend, 16-year-old Jeremiah Horahan, they start hitting the shark and trying to grab their friend and brother out. Uh, Locals, again, jump in and they have to beat the shark off him. So this shark is like, he's hungry. Do we know it's it's all the same shark? Well, I would imagine, I would say 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's got to be the same shark that got Lester and Stanley because it's all happening on the same day, like so close together. And so they pull him out, and he's got a lot of really severe damage uh, to his leg from the knee to the ankle. Uh, A local doctor, who's the same one who stabilized Stanley Fisher, he arrives on scene because he's really close. I think this is going to really hammer home. We've been talking about this on and off, but how little people knew about sharks. People thought around him thought he was incredibly brave to clean the wounds because they thought sharks might be venomous. And he was risking the lingering venom from the shark. And he felt certain the boy would likely not survive and would die from the poison in the bite. Mm -hmm. So they imagined uh, sharks to be something like poisonous snakes. I mean, this is the thing. They just had no idea. Like, I think think we just take for granted how readily available information is to us today. Fortunately, good news, he recovers. He does lose the leg, but he recovers. I think he went on and had a a perfectly happy life. The next day, our friend, Dr. Lucas uh, from the American Museum of Natural History, who had said that, you know, sharks never bite people and all that. Yeah. He admits he's wrong. And the New York (laughs) Times runs the headline, quote, science admits its error. No longer doubted that big fish attack men. Quote, the foremost authority on sharks in this country has doubted that any type of shark ever attacked a human and has published his doubts, but the recent cases have changed his view. But I mean, that's super awesome. Like Uh nowadays, if you say something wrong and then they catch you and you never admit that you're wrong, you're just like, well, (laughs) yeah. Never admit it. This shark killed somebody, but in general, I mean, do we know, do we know if it really was um, really a shark? Maybe it was a turtle. Yeah, you know what I mean? And there it was like, exactly what you mean. Next day, they run a newspaper and the scientist says, yeah, I guess, yeah, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. Well, that's the thing. You have to be able to change your point of view when you have more information. Yes. So they're ser- they're still searching the creek, though, for Lester's body, right? So because it was dropped well, because, when he yeah. was... Yeah, so they, they lost Lester. And so pretty soon after, they actually do find the remains of Lester. And portions of the abdomen, left shoulder, and thigh were all consumed. The left foot and ankle were also missing this kind of, like you were saying, it proved that the shark had gone again and again and again. So Lester's body is found, and they take it out of the creek, and they bring it. Where do you think they brought his body? I have absolutely no idea. To his mother for identification. Oh, yeah, uh... Can you even come on? I mean... <laughs> to his mother. That poor woman, she passed out cold, and when they revived her, she just fucking passed out again. And who hey, can blame her? Hey, lady, her? hey, lady, look at this torso. <laughs> I, I mean, come on, it's like, and son. then, yeah. So she, she couldn't stay conscious enough, so they just brought I mean... the body to the un- undertaker, who was also horrified and was like, "We need to just bury this kid ASAP." <laughs> I mean, he'd been in the water for a few days and was eaten by a oh, shark. Yeah. I think that's the thing that bothers me the most about the whole story because so much of this is like nobody was doing anything wrong none of the people who were killed had it coming nobody 
they were all innocent people. And I would even go so far as to say the shark was being a shark. You know, it's not yeah, like he was, was a person with conscious murderous yeah. effort. You know, it's not like it he just... said, oh, you know what? It's a nice day. I'm going to swim upstream and kill some of those. That's right. People. That's exactly it. And so it's like, you know, everybody was just doing the best they could, but they had to bring the body to his fucking mother. Like, oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. they were so, so kind of clueless. No? Totally it's like, clueless. Hey, what are we going to do? We should ask his mom if that's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's Awful. do that. That sounds like a great idea. What could yeah. go wrong? <laughs> who else could it have been? Like, really, who else could it have been? <laughs> That's the best thing about it. I didn't even think about it. You're so right. Who like, else could it have been? Did you really need to have? And did it have to be his mother? <laughs> Surely the there were at least a dozen men in that town who could have said, you know, who were not immediate family, who could have said, yes, that's him. Ugh. That, that's really the part that enrages me the most about this whole story. <laughs> okay, so... Now people, like I said, are just completely losing their shit. And the president turns to, again, his son-in-law, Secretary McAdoo, to lead a war on sharks. He has a cabinet meeting, and then there's a press conference, and surrounded by newspapers, McAdoo announces that the U.S. Coast Guard and the Bureau of Fisheries would join forces to, quote, route the sea terrors, and that the Coast Guard cutter Mohawk would sail immediately to the Jersey coast to destroy any or all killer sharks, avenge four deaths, and save the bathing season. Avenge. So the mayor of Matawan posts a $100 reward. Oh, this is the one when I was talking about the guy that had the $500 reward. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thought I'd looked up to see what that was. $100 was about $2,500 today. Okay. So the mayor of Matawan posts a $100 reward uh, for the capture of the shark. And people have lost their collective minds. They're buying dynamite and bullets at the hardware store, because that's where you get all your guns and ammo. Obviously. They're yanking down ye old decorative whaling harpoons that belong to their relatives. And well, I'm imagining it like that opening scene in Jaws, where everybody is falling over themselves yeah, to sure. go out and hunt the shark, except they're doing it with fucking dynamite. So they're just throwing dynamite into the river, like willy nilly, just maybe we'll hit a shark. Who knows? People have lost their minds. People are hunting for the shark. They stretched a um, big steel net across the Matawan Creek to make sure that the shark couldn't escape so they could try to kill it. And people are signing up for special swimming courses that are supposed to help teach swimmers how to avoid and outsmart the sharks. <laughs> Do you know what they, what uh... they, they said? Well, yeah, so I found a really interesting quote. So do you know who Annette Kellerman was? I never heard of her, but I like her. So she was a real kind of a badass. She was a, um, Ethel Merman played her in, in movies later on, but she was, she was a swimmer and like a movie star. She was arrested in 1907 for wearing a one piece bathing suit. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. She didn't use the horse carriage. She wasn't wearing the full woolen gown. <laughs> It's like, would you rather be eaten by a shark or drown in a freaking woolen gown? (laughs) They had their ropes, you know. They could hold to the ropes. (laughs) They could just hold on to their ropes. But this lady was a really, really avid swimmer. And so her advice was published in both the New York Times and the Washington Post. And she said that one must simply keep an eye out for sharks. Quote, (laughs) quote, you can always see them and dive under them if they rush up at you. Since the shark attacks upside down, she explained... You have a chance to get away if the distance to shore is not too far. You should mm. dive under them. Yeah, that they swim upside down with their mouths. So, again, people just didn't know anything about sharks. It's bananas. Yeah, plus, so, even if it was true, who stays as cool to do that in well, that situation? You're like, okay, here comes the shark. Let's just dive under it and it's all going to be cool. Yeah, what? You're going to outmaneuver a shark yeah. in the ocean? I mean, I could probably maybe outmaneuver a shark if it was on dry land and so was I. <laughs> but even that's like, hmm. Yeah, I I, I'd rather fight a shark on land and um, a tiger in, in the ocean, I guess. Yeah. But they're good swimmers too, though. Tigers like the ocean. They're cats. They shouldn't. But tigers do. I think. So anyway, I go back. There's a huge, um, huge search in the creek, but the shark is never found. And the same day that Lester Stillwater, Stillwell and Stanley Fisher were laid to rest, a newspaperman from New York City gets in a motorboat and he rides down creek to where 
the Matawan Creek opens into Raritan Bay to inspect those steel nets that were erected to contain the shark. And he then was able to report that Matawan had lost its battle with the sea monster because there was a very large hole chewed in the steel nets and all Seriously. the bait was gone. Mm-hmm. People were hunting sharks like crazy. The whole thing with the with the Coast Guard cutter uh, sort of taking care of everything, mm-hmm. that sort of fizzled out for a lot of reasons. And there's actually a great book by Michael Capuzzo called Close to Shore, The Terrifying Shark Attacks of 1916. And he does a really incredible and very, very thorough job on this case. Everyone is, is hunting the sharks and he gets into more about why this all fizzled, you know, exactly. Yeah. It gets a lot more into like President Wilson and World War One and okay. the Coast Guard movie. There's there's a lot of information about that and it's really interesting, but it's not as relevant to this podcast. So I recommend that book. That was my point. If um I recommend that if you're book. You're interested if, in, in photo reading. More information, yes. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Everyone is hunting sharks, but on July the 14th, 40-year-old German-American, Michael, I believe his last name is Schleiser. Now, Michael Schleiser is a character for sure. Is he a a good character? Is he not one of those Germans? A little from column A and a little from column B. Listen... (sighs) Honestly, I can't say anything negative about him. It's just, it was a different time. He was a big game hunter, and I'm not a fan of, I have real issues with trophy hunting. I mean, but you have to see it in the context of the time. But this is it. At the context of the time, uh, he also was a very well-known taxidermist. He, He worked for the Museum of Natural History. Dr. Lucas was his boss. He would do the taxidermy on all the different species of fish and animal that they have on display at the at the museum there. And it's amazing. If you've never been to the American Museum of Natural History, I highly recommend it. But so, yeah, he worked at doing taxidermy for them. And he's a goddamn lion tamer for Barnum and Bailey Circus. You checkman Barnum. Yes. Okay. Yes. The greatest exactly. showman, Barnum. The greatest showman. Yes. He is a, exactly right. Yeah. He's a lion tamer for the circus, but he is not <laughs> shark hunting. He is out bait fishing. So they're just out. He's out with his friend, John Murphy. John Murphy's a laborer for the steamship company. And they're just going to go out and do some fishing. They have no interest in this whole shark thing. <laughs> they get to the dock and they find an oar, a broken oar has been left behind by someone else who had been, I don't know been there at some point, broke their oar, and they just left it discarded. Michael Schleiser picks up the oar and puts it in the boat, and Murphy asks him why he's bothering, and he kind of just laughs and says, well, you never know when it might come in handy. Foreshadowing. So they head into (laughs) uh, Raritan Bay, just south of Staten Island. They let out a a six-foot net to let it trawl, like, drag behind them in the water. I think they're trying to catch smaller fish that they would then use to bait their hooks to go Mm -hmm. big, big fishing, you know. I don't think that's what it's called. To go big fishing for the big fish. The fish that are big and not big. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're cruising along, catching their bait fish in their net. They're about four miles away from Matawan Creek. And all of a sudden, their boat slams to a stop. The engines stall. And then they start moving backward. Oh. Faster and faster. And the back end of the boat is taking on water. And it's a shark. They've snagged a shark. They're in an, a little eight-foot motorboat. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, I think yeah, we're going to need a bigger need boat. A bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Murphy runs to stand at the front of the boat. And Schleiser is searching for just a weapon, any kind of weapon. But they have nothing, right? So they have fishing poles, and that's it. They don't have knives. They don't have any, they certainly don't have any harpoons. They don't have any guns. Oh, that was also super popular. People just shooting the fish or the sharks. They don't have any of that, but they do have a broken oar. And that's all they have. So all of a sudden, the shark comes launching out of the water. It's headlands in the boat, and it is snapping at them. That's Total nightmare fuel. <laughs> and so Schleiser, and this is why I mentioned some of his history, because I'm not sure. I think if you and I were in that boat, we'd be dead. But I this guy... He, he, I'm sure that's the kind of person who keeps his cool and knows exactly. how to react. In if you're a big game like hunter this. in Africa and you're a lion tamer, you're not the kind of person who's going to freak out under pressure and so he grabs the oar and he beats the shark to death yeah his arms are all scraped up because i guess sharks are really rough and scratchy he's got bleeding scrapes on him and they tow the shark back 
and it is a 350-pound, seven-and-a-half-foot, juvenile, female, carcaridin, carcarius, a.k.a. A great white. Kind of a teeny tiny little baby shark. So this one is seven and a half feet and 350 pounds. A full grown great great white. I just checked it up for everybody who's not, um, you know, everybody from Europe. It's like two and a half meters. Full grown, they're over 20 feet and weighing two tons. Yeah, that's six meters. That's a big shark. That's how big they are full grown. So this was a little tiny baby shark. He brings it back to his shop. Because he's going to mount it, right? He's going to do the whole taxidermy thing on it. And when he opens the stomach, he finds 15 pounds of what looks like human flesh and bone. And so he sends the bones to our old friend, Dr. Lucas, at the Museum of Natural History, who identified the remains as human. So Dr. Lucas, I think prior to working running the Museum of Natural History. He was at the Smithsonian. He's probably the most well-educated or among the most well-educated people on these things, but I'm still not sure I can trust him because of the whole sharks don't ever eat people thing. But no one else was attacked. And so that's probably was the New Jersey man-eater. But a nine-foot bull shark was also captured the next day 10 miles from Matawan. And so there's been a lot of controversy for years and years over whether or not it was a bull shark or a white shark. So now bull sharks (laughs) are the worst because, okay, let me read you this quote from, this is from sharksavers.org. Quote, bull sharks are unusual because they can adapt readily to fresh water can adapt their process of osmoregulation. The kidneys of bull sharks, and to a lesser extent, several other types of sharks, can be gradually adjusted to suit the salinity of the water they're in. That means how much salt is in it. When moved gradually into fresh water, perhaps by migrating from the ocean, bull sharks' kidneys remove less salt and more urea from the bloodstream through urination, essentially reversing the normal marine shark method of osmoregulation. This adaptation allows bull sharks to live entirely in estuaries or fresh water. Bull sharks are regularly sighted in Lake Nicaragua, some live there permanently, and have been reported to thousand miles from the ocean in the Amazon River. They have also been seen in the Mississippi River up to St. Louis, oh. Lake Pontchartrain, and the Illinois River up to Lake Michigan. Wow. <gasps> I had no idea. Bull sharks! <laughs> wow. so, I mean, they look a lot like white sharks. They look a lot like white. Yeah. They're just, yeah, they're A they're little big. bit smaller, yeah. They've got more rounded noses and smaller yeah. eyes. I watched a program years ago on Shark Week about bull sharks. It just, I didn't know that they could live in fresh water. Yeah. That, it just blew my mind. Yeah. They swim so up. safe nowhere. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> and so there's a lot of debate now whether or not the 1916 attacks. So let's see. In the New York Times, uh, Samantha Schmidt writes, quote, the 1916 episodes are noted by shark experts as rare instances in which a single shark appears to have killed multiple people, said George H. Burris, director of the Florida Program for Shark Research and the International Shark Attack File. Only one similar episode has occurred, Mr. Burgess said, and that was off the coast of Egypt in 2010 when a single shark was believed to have attacked two people. However, the events of New Jersey in which one shark attacked five people on the same coast within two weeks remains unique. And then there was an article, Burgess shows up in a lot of my um, research. And then he also says, the question we at the International Shark Attack File have is how good was the report that the animal was, one, a white shark, and two, Mm -hmm. really had human remains that could be identified as those two people. Of course, we don't have the benefit of the kinds of things we would have today, such as good photographs of the shark. We could have used photographs to confirm the species. Also, there was no coroner's report to prove the remains were human. All we can do is believe what was said in the press at the time and the press identified identified it as a white shark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's crazy. And the whole the whole freshwater thing is also crazy. My biggest issue with with sharks and shark attacks is how often I was almost glad that they found human remains. <laughs> this is going to sound really wrong, but let me explain. I was almost glad that they found human remains in the sharks tummy if that's tummy stomach if they if that is in fact what they found because the thing that's always really 
really bothered me about sharks is, you know, so I'm sure most people have heard that one of the leading theories on why sharks bite people is mistaken identity, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they mistake you for something else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And they're curious. They, they're curious about what you are. But a shark, if it wants to find out more about something, the only uh, tools it has are its mouth. They have to just feel with their mouth to see what something is. It's not their fault that their mouths are full of teeth that are so sharp that it would slice you like a knife if you rubbed your finger against a fresh great white shark tooth. And so the thing that's always really bothered me and the thing that really gets me going every time I watch Shark Week is you just see story over and over and over again when they're talking to people who survived or whatever it is where it's like the shark bit my leg off and then spit it out. Yeah, it's, it seems so unnecessary. It's yeah, if, literal if insult to injury. If you yeah. bite my leg off, you mm-hmm. fucking eat it, mister. If you ate my leg, you better eat my leg. I don't know. It's just, it re- for some reason, that really bothers me. <laughs> yeah, but then on the other hand, isn't it nice? Like, the shark just wanted to play with you. He just wanted to see, hey, well, what are you? <laughs> mm, yeah, so this is the quote in Jaws. There's a bit where Brody says, quote, and there's no limit to what he's going to do. I mean, we've already had three incidents, two people killed inside of a week, and it's going to happen again. It happened before, the Jersey Beach, and he points at Hooper. 1916, there were five people chewed up in the surf in one week. And so, yeah, but Peter Benchley, who wrote the book, Jaws, been quoted to say, knowing what I know now, I would never write that book today. Sharks don't target human beings, and they certainly don't hold grudges. He became a huge advocate for shark protection. He uh, campaigned against shark fisheries and he traveled all over the world making documentaries that showed him swimming with sharks. Because really shark conservation is a is a very, very serious issue. So that is the story of the 1916 uh, shark attacks. It just completely changed the way America and kind of the rest of the world saw yeah. sharks. I had no idea, honestly, that um, the bull shark thing still blew my mind actually yeah i hope you uh enjoyed that really awful story so i'm gonna we're gonna post some pictures um we're on facebook we are on instagram you can find us on twitter at fresh hell pod leave some comments like share yes and you can email us at fresh hell podcast at gmail.com and yeah please turn in tune in next week and we'll cover something else all right thanks for listening everyone bye bye